since I published the last podcast and the reason for that is that I have caught the tulip fever myself. Uh, in this episode I will give an account of my painting work of the last six months which led two weeks ago to the opening of the exposition Tulip Fever at Museum the Black Tulip in Lisse. In the Netherlands it is now rainy and cold and the outdoor tulip hasn't sprung up yet. But I am recording this podcast at the Canarian Islands, at the little portal town of La Rastinga on the island of El Hierro. And uh, El Hierro could be called more a village than a port. And my uh, location now is situated at the most southern tip of the island, making it one of the most remote areas of uh, the European Union. Uh, it's sunny and hot here. I am here to relax from the events which took place the last past six months. In the previous podcast I have been talking about many topics, but not so much about my painting process. And the news, which I can tell you, which I already said, is that my tulips are already on display. Um, not all of them, 45, uh, 54 are waiting for the next part, the second part of the exposition, and I still need to paint like a 15 uh, tulips and then I'm actually done with all the 99 tulips. But first, I will go back half a year in time and show you a little bit of the process how I got here. Because half a year ago, my painting process was a bit slow. Um, setting yourself the goal to paint 99 paintings is one thing, huh? it's a real nice ambition, but to actually do this and realize 99 paintings is quite another thing. It was quite a struggle sometimes. Um, first I had to struggle with time. Uh, it takes about one day to paint a tulip painting and then I'm talking only about the image and not the, um, the works around it like sanding the panel, um, have a underlayer, have like a top layer, have protection etc. Um, and I had some serious setbacks and one of the biggest setbacks I had in my painting process were cracks and um, beside the cracks staying motivated was my second challenge I, I have asked myself several times why why did I choose to make 100 minus 1 paintings of tulips it's a huge task to, to complete now that question why 99 tulips is uh, a question which is asked of me often and the answer is quite simple I could create 10 tulips I could create 25 tulips uh, but a hundred is simply a great number it's it's a even a little bit overwhelming when you see them all together and uh, the number of hundred is something to take notice of 100 paintings of fish or 100 paintings of a certain city it's it take notice so I said well let's just pick a hundred um, and I can imagine, as a guest of an exhibition or gallery, you, um, you have something to look at when there are 100 paintings. You can compare, you look at the variations, you look at similarities, differences, and the number of difficult word, the number of varieties of tulips is, is very big. And I feel a small number of paintings doesn't do justice uh, to the tulip itself. 
Um, but another fact which made me choose a hundred paintings is that the tulips of the time of the tulip fever have been skillfully documented or better represented in tulip books. A lot of images of this time have survived and are really pretty images. It is quite easy to make a collection of a hundred images to paint. And what makes it extra interesting is that uh, many of the represented tulips have a story about the owner, about the florist, historical events, prices, and so on. Um, to find that out and to really uh, do some research makes the painting extra interesting because it's embedded in a historical setting. It's embedded in my national Dutch history. And, uh, and even in the places where I live, uh, I can point sometimes the street where the owner lived or where the florist lived or where they traded with that tulip. And that makes it a very realistic and very interesting thing. It's almost like this connection you have with, uh, well, 400 years ago. And in case you don't know what a tulip book is, tulip books are collections of tulip drawings created in various techniques in the time period around the tulip mania. And these tulip books were commissioned by tulip lovers or fanciers. Um, in the 17th century Holland, naturalia was a hobby of the wealthy. That meant tulips. It meant, for example, shells. They collected uh, these pretty shells, um, all kinds of wonders of the nat natural world. And they would display them, they would talk about it, they would show it to their visitors, etc. It was a very uh, dynamic time uh, for them, uh, for people who were wealthy and who could explore the world. Um, but tulips are just temporal, they're spring flowers and they relatively bloom short if you have hot weather so they would also like to enjoy their tulips outside of the season so they had their tulips painted by artists on paper sheets which later would be bind into a book now these artists and in the craftsmanship in the development of the illustration of the tulip uh, you see a development now the first documented tulips were made by printing press via uh, wood engravings and the printing press wasn't around that long and one of these examples is the standard work Rorarium Plantarum Historica, or History of Rare, Pla Rare Plants, by Carolus Crucius, published in 1601. It contains more than 1100 illustrations. It appeared in uh, that Carolus Crucius uh, was a perfectionist and often was not happy with the quality. Um, in surviving correspondence with the publisher uh, Platin Moretus in Antwerp, he complained about quality, like a petal is not pointed enough, or the wrong leaf near the flower, etc. Uh, it's a bit rough, and you can't add details. So, personally, I say that the illustrations, for me, are not rep uh, interesting to reproduce as a tulip painting. Uh, in the time, they were the best thing around, but for us, they look a little bit uh, simple, because you, you can't go into detail. And, uh, but there is one tulip I painted, uh, which is based on a print made with a wood engraving. And it is of the Tulipa Turcarum. Uh, the Tulipa Turcarum is the first descript description of a tulip in an European botanical literature. And there was a book by Konrad Keschner uh, in his Hortus Germanica of 1561. He refers to the tulip as Tulipa Turcarum. He saw it in a garden in Augsburg in 
1969. Uh, it's a very pretty tulip, um, and if you Google for Tulipa turcarum, you will find a high-resolution photo at the Commons Wikipedia site uh, of the museum where the tulip is displayed. And it is an example of an in-colored illustration. Uh, writers gave instructions in the back of the book uh, on which colors to use if you wanted to color the illustrations. Um, the technique was simply not around to provide colored illustrations. So uh, when a couple of years later the copper engraving made its appearance, the images became more detailed, but still people had to color the illustrations themselves. Now, tulip lovers of the golden century Holland had the same opinion, <laughs> and because they were wealthy people, they could afford the expensive hobby of growing and sometimes cultivating tulips, uh, they wanted something better. So they ordered painted tulips on paper, which could be binded in a book, and they probably existed of the tulips they grew themselves in their own show gardens or in their own uh, uh, greenhouse. Um, but they also added paintings of famous tulips which were not in their possession or not yet and it's, it's very interesting um, i heard sometimes like what why do you copy uh, tulips and don't make them yourself but the painters of that time also copied each other's tulips there are several books which survived and they have identical images of tulips recognizable images almost like uh, a logo or really characteristics from what you say oh I can see these two stripes that's a uh, viceroy for example um, but you see also a development in in this creation of tulip illustration um, the names of several of these um, artists have survived and you see they start to improve their work they become more realistic uh, you have extra attributes appear, you have insects appearing, uh, they, they represent them um, more and more uh, diverse and realistic and um, they also make them look a little bit better. Um, so for me it wasn't difficult to create a sele selection of 99 tulips at all and there are even a few I had to skip. Um, so that was uh, an interesting part of the job. Now, I do get the question, why 99 tulips? Well, that is a very simple answer. One of the panels was messed up by the wood store. I, I buy this like this big piece of wood which they can cut in 25 pieces uh, if you do it uh, vertically. Uh, but one of the employees did one of these big, uh, um, one of the, these big parts of wood horizontally and made a calculation mistake. And so I missed out one. I said, well, no problem. Um, uh, 99 is also fine. Uh, 89 would have been odd. So, before a half a year ago, um, I painted a tulip from time to time and I feel the joy of the creative process of painting. Um, I love to lock myself up and work for hours concentrated on one work. But, as I said, the main problem I had were cracks. Whenever I started with a panel during the process, most of them start to appear with uh, long cracks would start to appear and uh, then I realized I made a really stupid mistake uh, I prepared all the panels ahead so I had 100 panels uh, 99 panels waiting for me to, to paint and uh, but I used for 75 of them the wrong type of cotton you need to you have a wooden panel then you glue on with uh, animal glue you glue
glue on a layer of cotton and then you apply gesso, you sand it, you sand it finer and then you have a perfect uh, panel to work from. Uh, but since I used a cotton with synthetic material, it is less flexible and it creates a tension on the surface. So as soon as the surface would get wet, it starts to crack and I had to do them all over again. I had to peel off the cotton and the gesso and start again. So that really ate my time. But six months ago, I was still not really well on the way, about 30 pieces. And then I got a message from Hank Loyestein. Hank Loyestein is an expert on the tulip mania. He's the son of a bulb grower himself. He's raised in the bulb growing tradition uh, because his father simply um, is a bulb grower. Uh, but as an historian, he got into the tulip fever by contributing to the book Tulip Mania by Mike Dash. Yeah, maybe you listener know this book. It's, it's quite a, a good book to read and it's an interesting book to read, an interesting account of the history. And because of his involvement, he became more or less the expert about the tulip mania in, uh, in 17th century Holland. I interviewed Hank, by the way, about the tulip mania in episode 5, 6 and 7. Now Hank introduced me, in, introduced me to the museum, the Zwarte Tulp, the Black Tulip. If I wanted to be part of an exposition on the tulip mania, well, yeah, I was really, I thought that was really great. Because that's a great stage. So when I was officially contracted, I actually still had to create the rem remaining 70 panels in half a year. Though it is a great offer, it's a head start for the future. Having the first exhibition in the center of Tulipland, uh, the museum is located in Lisse, near the Keukenhof, um, so many people will see it, it will create attention, but it meant about two paintings a week. Now, considering a painting takes at least a day, there goes my weekend, there goes my social life for the remaining half a year. And that's actually what happened. I had to cancel as much as I can, because every free moment I had to paint to be ready for the exhibition. And I don't know how other uh, artists deal with it, but um, being an artist and being a painter can be a bit of a lonely business at times, uh, especially when you need to produce. It's something you do alone. Um, nevertheless, it worked very well. Uh, I made a schedule, I made a list, I made steps, I set dates, when to produce that one, when to produce that one. And I said, always when I'm in a difficult situation, I say step by step, move forward and you get there. So I did, and I had the full number to be displayed in a museum in two sessions. So the exposition would open with 45 of the works, followed a few months later with the remaining 54. So my initial idea was to have just the panels, just the wooden panel painted, 25 by 35 centimeters, and to paint myself a black flame, frame, a little black line on the, on the outside. And it, it worked well, but overviewing the panels, it missed out on something. I mean, the work's great, but it, need, it needed enhancement. Uh, the black line around it, it just wasn't the finishing touch. So a real frame would be the finishing touch. That had to be a frame in the style of the 17th century, though. And if you look at the style uh, the, of, the, of the fashion, so that's actually the Protestant fashion style of 17th century Holland, was characterized by simplicity, practicality, and modesty. So this was in stark contrast to the extravagant and, and ornate fashion styles that were popular in other parts of Europe during the same period. 
Thus, it means not a golden, uh, golden gilded frame, but a sober black frame. Now, after doing some research, I actually found a frame maker, the frame maker Royos, close to Alkmaar, who has a specialty in making 17th century style frames. Well, great. So, I decided to invest some money, and wow, when the 99 frames arrived, I was stunned myself. That is amazing. The effect which the frame has on the work is, is it really completely finishes the work. Uh, it makes it fit to complement a stylish study or a boardroom. And I must say, I, I blinked my eyes as well that I was a bit really surprised how good uh, it was. And it pointed out to me again that the relation between a painting and its frame is an important aspect of the art presentation. Um, I often forget it, but um, it gives uh, a good presentation of the artwork, it, is, uh, it gives the right interpretation and aesthetics. So the frame really complemented the painting and it reflects the historical and cultural context in which the tulip painting has been created. So working towards the exhibition uh, in Museum the Black Tulip, I got the idea to have a video created about the process, about the works, about the opening, about myself. Um, so in a short mini documentary, I tell the story. Um, I haven't decided yet if I will have a voice over or if it will be simply without voice. Uh, but that is fun to do. It's not completely finished yet, and I hope to release the video a few weeks after this podcast, so uh, remain po keep posted. And uh, uh, if you are a follower of my podcast, you actually get an idea of the man behind all the works. And uh, now, and then it came, the exhibition, the crown of my work. Uh, six months, I have been really working very hard. I had some business cards created with an image of a few paintings and a QR code on the other side with some, uh, which linked some information about the specific tulip. Um, it will help me to get the message spread and the opening itself went very fast. It was a really a fun day. It was like the day that you let go like, ah, oh, I'm nearly done. And um, at the opening there were some presentations, one of Hank, one of the or organizer of the exhibition, one of the director of the exhibition. And then there is actually the moment that people wandered out uh, into the museum and got to um, see everything. Uh, I, I invited some friends, uh, we had a dinner afterwards, so it was really like a cherry on the pie. But um, something more about the exhibition. The exhibition name is Tulip Fever, 1636 to 1637, the true story. Now, the Tulip Fever is uh, in this exhibition presented without the spectacular stories, like these re really juicy stories. Um, you hear about the price of a canal house, uh, people committed suicide after they, um, when the bubble was uh, broken. Uh, but they present the stories purely based on what they can, what can be traced from historical documents and other evidence. And the tulip fever definitely was an economic bubble, and the prices rose, and people tried to get in uh, on the last moment. Uh, but in fact, nobody jumped in the canal of Amsterdam to commit suicide. And that's also, the, the canal is just half a meter deep, <laughs> which is really, I think you, your knee, well, in my case, my knees would just be under the, the water surface. 
You know, it, it's quite difficult to commit suicide in the canals of Amsterdam. <laughs> you need to do your best to die. But um, people were ruined, yes, but not as bad as you would, would expect. They actually had quite a Dutch solution. Uh, most of the contracts were simply annulled, uh, cancelled, or they agreed upon a small fee as a tournament. And the Dutch economy of those days was not affected. They, they don't have any evidence that the economy collapsed or that uh, the effect was devastating. It, it aroused a lot of conflict and, and people of course were a bit embarrassed. Um, sometimes the, the big buyers, the big florists were also scandalized in pamphlets, but it was not so that the whole country went, uh, went down. So to, to know a bit more about this topic, which is really interesting, uh, interesting dive because it's one of the first registered uh, bubbles in in the developing capitalist world. I would recommend to listen to the podcast in this, uh, to the three podcasts in this 99 Tulips podcast, or acquire the book, which is made by Hank Loyestein for the exposition. And the book gives a lot of information about the tulip mania uh, or fever as he and the museum preferred to call it. It wasn't a mania where people went crazy. It was a fever where people were really into it. It's a little bit of a distinction there. Um, a link to order the book in English, you can find it in the description of this episode. With this, I come to the end of the podcast. Uh, I am on the Canarian Islands to relax from the past months, uh, so to speak, to recover from my own tulip fever. And I really felt tulip fever, especially the last month. I was also a bit of a high of all the things I had to do. Uh, but the story about the 99 tulips is definitely not finished. Um, I'm excited to see what comes next. Uh, maybe more exhibitions, uh, maybe some uh, more attention is generated for the works. And um, who knows what comes on my way. I hope some international experience. Um, so there will be more podcasts about my progress, but also about the tulip world itself. There, there is still so much for me to learn about and uh, it's simply time I'm struggling with having uh, two jobs. Um, but uh, the, the fun part for me is that now the social part of my work has started, uh, where before I'm sitting on a Saturday painting from early morning to late in the evening painting a tulip. Now I actually go to, to, to have much more contact uh, and experience with other people. And I hope they enjoy it. And uh, I'm working together with somebody else to provide more stories, to find more stories about specific tulips. Uh, it's interesting to know, like, ah, this is made by a planter in Gouda. Uh, there they had a big now, blah, blah, blah. There's so much. It is uh, interesting to, uh, to find out. So keep posted by following the podcast. Uh, follow me on Instagram. Just Google the term 99 tulips and... I am the hit. <laughs> Google has uh, discovered that I'm probably an interesting subject and uh, what is hit are the first pages and it's all about the 99 tulips. So thank you for listening and until next time I'm going to uh, prepare myself to make a dive in the, uh, in the ocean and uh, cool off a little bit and uh, thank you.